Hi, everyone. You are now listening to BCC Sermons. Thanks for tuning in. kick off a new series today called Two or More, and the idea behind this is we're going to explore different pairs of both mentors and mentees throughout the scripture, and we're going to start off today with Naomi and Ruth. And so when we talk about this idea of mentoring, all of a sudden people get nervous or they get excited because they think, well, this is something that I hope somebody else is listening to because it can be an often intimidating subject matter because we all know that mentoring should happen and we say things in church that sound really exciting like cross-generational mentoring and we think, that's good, I'm glad someone's doing that, you know, (laughs) and... uh, I hope someone's listening today, but can I tell you that in order for us to be the type of church that's going to impact every generation beyond our lifetime, that we have to be a church that understands discipleship. We have to be a church that understands both the value and the necessity and the priority of both being spoken into and being mentored and being someone who is also speaking into another person. And as we look at these examples throughout the scripture, starting with Naomi and Ruth, we're going to be able to uh, mine out some of these ideas and help us to understand how we can do that. Because most people are like, well... How do I do mentoring? How do I do investing discipleship? You know, how do I do that? How do I become someone who's being mentored? So that's what we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about and exploring. And so we can see how God uses the least likely of people to do this. A lot of us, I think the biggest hurdle in our way is this idea that we're not equipped enough, we're not smart enough. We're not, you know, talented enough, experienced enough, right? Or we say this type of stuff like, well, I'm still working through my own stuff. And so because I've got baggage and stuff in my life, I feel like I'm not qualified. Can I tell you, if you just read the Bible a little bit, you're going to see that God picks people that weren't like the best candidate for the job according to everyone else's viewpoint. God picked people that couldn't speak well to go and speak in front of Pharaoh, right? He's, you think God all of a sudden didn't know that Moses had like a speech impediment or some sort of fear around speaking, and then all of a sudden God said, I want you to go speak on my behalf to Pharaoh, and he's like, yeah, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but, <laughs> but I've got a problem. I don't speak well. And it's like we're informing God of our own limitations as if he didn't know that those limitations existed. The same thing when the angel goes to Gideon. I mean, Gideon says, don't you know I'm like the weakest guy of the weakest clan and all of Israel. I mean, like, we're weak. We're like weak sauce. We're super weak sauce. And yet God says, you're the one that I want to use. Think about David. Out of all the sons that Jesse had when Samuel showed up, Jesse didn't even think it was worth calling out to David to come to line up for Samuel to look at all the different sons Jesse had because as he went through all of the different sons, God was like, nope, not it, nope, not it, nope, not it. And then Samuel the prophet, who's supposed to anoint the next king of Israel, he asked Jesse, he says, are these all your kids? And he's like, well, I got one more, but 
Uh, I mean, his own dad didn't think that he was worthy to bring to this because he thought, surely it's going to be, you know, one of my big, strong, older sons. And yet God chose the least likely over and over again. Even the Savior of the world was born in a manger where animals eat in the least likely of places. So don't sit here and tell me that because of the circumstances that you may find yourself in, because of your story, because of your baggage, because of your past, because of the things you may even currently be struggling with, don't tell me that God can't use you because it sounds like that's exactly who God uses when I read the Bible. And so I want you to begin to see yourself in a different light. It's not my necessarily how, how, how much I feel that I'm qualified as much as it is my willingness to be humble and to obey and to say, yes, Lord, here am I. Lord, you use me. You work in me and through me. Even in the middle of all my dysfunction, even in the middle of my circumstance, Lord, you can use me because I'm humble and willing to grow and willing to learn. And that's where God sinks us up with people who can pour into us and also sinks us up with people that we can pour into as well. Now, we're going to go through this story of Ruth and we're just going to hit some of the highlights today about Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so go over to the book of Ruth if you have your Bible this morning. You can also follow along on uh, Version if you have that app on your phone. Don't forget, we're also doing Version Live. While you're turning, you can uh, look up a live event in the menu and you'll see BCC. Click on that and you'll be able to follow along with my notes each and every week. So just a quick commercial to remind you of that. But over in Ruth chapter 1, if you're unfamiliar with the story of Ruth, I want to give you just a quick overview of the heart of the story because I want you to understand the context of this story and the main purpose of this story because there's other things that I want us to highlight and talk about that are outside of this main purpose, but we need to understand the main purpose of the story of Ruth. So the main idea is built around this concept that's called the kinsman redeemer, okay? Have any of you heard that concept before or maybe heard the story of Ruth before and you've heard this concept of the kinsman redeemer? So what that meant back in their day and their culture was when someone was widowed, it was the closest relative's responsibility to marry the widow to make sure that she's taken care of and that heirs can be provided so that there's uh, someone to leave a legacy to, okay? So this is the idea behind this kinsman redeemer because if someone was widowed and they didn't have any children, then what happened to the story? What happened to the legacy? What happened to their property? All this stuff. So the kinsman redeemer would come and would actually, it would be his responsibility to marry and to uh, prayerfully provide an heir to be able to pass on to the next generation. Now, this story and the heart of this story of the book of Ruth is a parallel of humanity needing a redeemer because we were lost with no hope, with no future, and Jesus brought us into the family of God and purchased us back or redeemed us, and now we've been given new life, and now we are bought back as his very own. But today we're going to focus on this concept between Naomi and Ruth and this mentoring relationship that God provided as a way to establish this kinsman redeemer and to keep uh, their generations and the legacy moving on and moving forward. So in Ruth chapter one, verse one, scripture says this, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons 
The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahalan and Chileon. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with two sons. These took Moabite wives with the name of the one being Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilon died, and the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So think about this situation here. 10 years has gone by since Naomi's husband has passed away. Elimelech is dead, and his two sons now are dead, but they've married these women, and there's been no children that have been born up until this point. There's no other siblings. There's no other children that Naomi has had. So Naomi is now left with these two women that are her daughters-in-law, but all three of them have been widowed, and they're in this very interesting situation because now what happens next? Verse 6, then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Remember, there was a famine in the land, so everybody's hungry looking for food. So they're out looking for food, Naomi and her um, widowed daughters-in-law. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord will grant you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. So in this moment, Naomi is saying, Girls, you don't have to follow me anymore. Like, I appreciate you mourning with me and being with me, and we've all wept together over the loss of our husbands and, and of, of my two sons, and this has been really difficult on all of us. And why don't you girls, you're free to go. You're not obligated to me. You can go back to Moab, where you're from, and you can go back to your parents' house and be taken care of instead of kind of figure out this famine thing with me and just kind of struggle along with me, and maybe you'll find another husband and go start a new life. And so this is what Naomi is telling the girls to do. And so they lifted their voices and wept in verse 10. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say that I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So in this moment... Orpah kissing her mother-in-law signifies that she's leaving and she's separating from her and going to take Naomi's advice. But Ruth stuck around, verse 15, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law like she's left. You too. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me also and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, 
she said no more. I love the way that this relationship starts because a lot of times we get this idea that mentoring relationships are something that um, you know, are, are, are difficult to find. But sometimes mentoring relationships are found out of just simply the throes of life and the circumstance you find yourself in. And Ruth saw something in Naomi that she loved and cared about her and respected her to the point that she was willing to stick with her instead of prioritizing her own future and saying, no, I'm going to go and and I'm going to start over and hit the big reset button. No, Ruth said, no, I'm sticking with you even through this heartache, even through this hurt, because a mentoring relationship is not one-sided. It's one that's built on mutual love and mutual respect. A lot of us think that mentoring relationships are just one person who's really, really smart, really really experienced, really well educated, really spiritual, pouring into another person. And that's really not what a true mentoring relationship is. It's actually a relationship that's built on mutual love and mutual respect. And it's just as beneficial for the one who's investing as as it is for the one who's being invested in because it goes both ways so often and so many times. And we see here something interesting that the relationship actually begins to get stronger because of Ruth's commitment. You see, Naomi is so bitter. She's so wounded. She's so hurt. She's ready to move on. And you would think her as the older, wiser person, she's giving good, sound advice to young Ruth, saying, listen, you're still young. You can still get married. You can still have a life. But instead, Ruth says, no, I love you. I respect you. I care about you. So I'm going to stick with you. And whatever that means to the nth degree, where you die, I want to die. I want to be buried there. Where you live, the God you worship, that's, that's the God I worship. Like I'm wrapping my whole identity up in this because I respect you and I love you and I care about you. I've had several mentors throughout my life and some of those relationships have been relationships that I pursued and I actually approached those people and asked them to invest in me because I saw something in them that I wanted to emulate and I wanted to sharpen and grow and develop in my life. There have been several people like that. I'll never forget um, spending time with my friend Bill up in Wisconsin. Bill, he's, he's a courageous man who loves God and loves his word. Now, Bill is not the most perfect person on planet Earth. I'm not looking for a perfect person who's got everything figured out. But I saw his passion for the word. I saw his passion for the church. I saw his courage and I saw his boldness. And I also saw his rough edges too. But I went to him and I said, hey, Bill, can we start having like coffee or something? And uh, he said, let's do it. So once a month, I would go over Bill's house and there was really no agenda. Like there was nothing that we had previously established or set up. It's nothing wrong with having a relationship where perhaps you do have some, some guidelines or something formal that you go through. But with Bill and I in this mentoring relationship, it was just I saw something in him. And I thought, man, this guy who's in his late 70s, he's a retired lawyer, and he found Christ later in life, and his passion for God, man, was just something that really inspired me, and I wanted to just be around it. That's really all I was after, was just being around someone whose love for God challenges me. Have you ever been around someone whose love for God challenges you? I mean, like, like, wow, like, I love Jesus, but man, they really love Jesus, like... (laughs) 
Like, man, um, I, I have a buddy, Steve, who's a missionary over in the UK, and man, the way he loves Jesus challenges me when I think about how Steve loves Jesus. I'm like, man, and I want to be around that. I want to ask him questions. I want to build relationship. I want to build trust so that he can understand who I am, and I can understand more of who he is. And then there's been other people in my life that I've observed and I've seen. Uh, one of the things that I've identified, there was a guy named John there was a friend of mine, he and his wife, Brenda, they, they had healthy relationships with their adult children. They had five adult children, and every single one of their adult children wanted to just hang out and would like joke around with their dad and they would pick on each other and they had this like fun relationship. And I watched how that was modeled and it wasn't fake. They weren't putting on for the pastor when I came over to their house like, this is just who they were. And I came to John one day and I said, John, I said, I love the way that your adult kids wanna just hang out with you. When I have adult children, I want my kids to want to be around me like your kids want to be around you and spend time with them and that just that you could see the quality of relationship and how their relationship had matured as now he had five adult uh, kids and I said can I just hang out with you and like spend time with you so I identified qualities in my life and things that things I wanted to grow in and I just asked those people hey could I just follow you can I just go around, hang out with you? Could I pay for your coffee? Could I just, you know, maybe have lunch once a month with you or something like that? And then there have been other mentors and people in my life that God has sent that have taken an interest in me. And so sometimes it's me identifying something in them. And then other times it's those people taking an interest in me. God has used one of um, the most probably strongest voices in my life, Pastor Andy Shanholtz. You've heard me mention him before if, if you've been around BCC for a while. And I love Pastor Andy because he took an interest in me when I first got to the church in Wisconsin that I pastored for almost 10 years and we developed a friendship very quickly. And every year, he and I go up to Green Bay, up to St. Norbert's Abbey, and we spend a few days there just praying and ministering to each other and just like sharpening each other. And the thing that he did so well is that he was like an active listener. Like, do you know what I mean when I say active listener? Because some people, like, they listen, and you don't know if they're listening, so you look for, like, clues and, like, cues to see if they're listening. You say things like, amen? <laughs> amen. And you go, oh, yeah, they're with me. They're listening. Like, you know, like, you, you say things like that because you're not sure if people are with you or not, and you're not sure if they're listening. But then there's people who just, man, they have a, a, a gift, and Andy has just developed such a good gift of active listening because when I sit down with him, he just lets me talk and talk, and I'm good at that. And so I talk, and Andy will ask questions. He asks questions about what I'm talking about so frequently that it's this back and forth and this furthering of the conversation, and it just makes me feel so valued and makes me feel so affirmed. And I love being around Andy because he, he, he hasn't like just thrown out like super awesome wisdom fortune cookie nuggets, you know, not like that. It's more of him just listening and being there and affirming that what I'm saying, and, and sometimes he'll correct me and say, no, you're off, and here's why, and we've built that trust through spending time with each other that I trust his advice, and I trust his words of wisdom, but he's just such a good listener, and, and he and I spend time together. We still talk up. Uh, Pastor Bob is another mentor in my life, and it was really cool because uh, he was in Wisconsin, 
And now he's a missionary uh, who's based out of Texas now. So I guess like, you know, Midwest is shipping them down there and we're bringing them up here, you know, from that's kind of how it's working lately. But uh, we see uh, like, like just we, we don't see each other that much anymore. And for some strange reason, he was up in uh, the Midwest and he swung by our church just a few weeks ago. And I got to spend time with him like face to face here in the building, got to take him on a little tour. And he said, hey, I'm, I'm on I'm on 80. Is that anywhere close to your church? And I'm like, yeah, I-80 is close. So I was able to connect with him. And we just used to spend time together um, weekly just having coffee or just uh, hanging out, spending time together. And so it's, it's, listen, what I'm trying to get to is that it's not always this for, formal thing, okay, when you think about this. So I want you to really get this idea and this concept out of your head that investing in other people and having other people invest in you, that it has to be this big formalized thing. Mentoring happens by simply doing life together. It really does. And when we can realize that, oh, woof, does it take the pressure off. Because so many of us feel that we have to, you know, be at a certain level of education, invest in someone. But can I just tell you that it really comes through trusted, sound advice and just loving people right where they're at. And can I tell you that it comes through just spending time with other people and it comes through building trust and relationship. Because I'm only going to be vulnerable, truly vulnerable, with people that I trust, right? And that takes time to earn, but I have to spend that time to be able to invest in that trust piggy bank so that there's trust there. And when hard things are said or when, when, when challenging things are said or when I'm being vulnerable, we're, we're trusting the person who loves me and cares about me and isn't just beating me up because I may be struggling with something, even if it's something embarrassing, even if it's something that brings a little bit of shame to me. I still can share because I know that person cares and wants to speak truth into my life. Let's go back over to Scripture. Over in Ruth, chapter 2, and verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So stop right there. This practice of gleaning, what this was is this is a way that people who were harvesting things actually when they would drop stuff because inevitably you're going to drop stuff when you're carrying it maybe on your shoulder or in a cart or you know whatever the case may be some of that grain that they harvested is going to fall off and it's going to be left behind and in, there's a scriptural command to people who are actually God-fearing people that during times of famine that you're supposed to leave what you dropped. Don't stop and pick it up again and put it. So if, if some falls out, if there's something that falls off the wagon, you're supposed to leave it there for the people who are poor, okay? And it's perfectly legal and acceptable and okay for those people who are poor to come behind and actually pick up the things that have been dropped. And so there would be times where in the case of this story where Boaz would actually instruct his guys like, hey, drop some stuff on purpose because I want you to be able to take care of these people, especially Ruth when he begins to take notice of her. So Ruth is going to go out and she's going to do some of this gleaning is what it's called. And because remember, they're in a time of famine and Ruth and Naomi have no one who is providing security and taking care of them. So here's these two widowed women who are trying to provide and take care of themselves in a very challenging time. So in verse 3, so she set out and she gleaned in the field after the reapers 
And she happened to come to the part where the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So remember, that was Naomi's husband, so there's a relative here. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Isn't this interesting? That the head of the reapers of the field of Boaz knew who Ruth was because of the way that she was living her life and the way the story had spread and how people were amazed that she stuck with her mother-in-law after their husbands had died. The, the, the story had spread even to the head of the reapers. And he's like, who is that lady out there? And he knew immediately who she was. He said, this lady is that lady that we've heard those stories about. Verse 7, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. So he's saying, man, this girl's been working hard gleaning. Like she's only rested like a little bit. She's a hard working lady, Boaz. <laughs> and then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Do not go out to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men to, not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Think about this. He's saying, hey, if you're tired, go and get the water that the young men, my, my servants, have drawn from. Like he's already showing favor to her. He's saying, listen, go out and get you something to drink. Like, don't, don't keep working this hard. Go take a break. Go get something to drink. You won't get in trouble. All my guys are going to protect you. If somebody tries to throw you out of my field because you keep coming back to my field, don't go to another field. Stay here in, in my field. I want you to stay here because there's this favor that she's found. Verse 10, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Remember, Ruth is a Moabite. She's not even from Judah. She's a Moabite, one of the enemy countries. And yet, but Boaz answered her and said, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and you came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, church, mentors give sound, trusted advice from simply sharing their experiences, from sharing the faithfulness of God. And here, Naomi, even in her state of being depressed and being, being frustrated and saying, my, my name just means bitter and sorrowful, and she's changed her name because she's so hurt over all of the things that she's lost, she's still able to give Ruth instruction, and Ruth trusts that instruction and trusts her wisdom, and you see how God uses that in a powerful way. You see, you don't have to have all of the answers, and I want you to just exhale, all right? You don't have to have all the answers, because guess what? You don't have all the answers, and that's okay. That's okay. You don't have to have all the answers to be in a healthy mentoring relationship. It's not about having all the answers, but rather encouraging the people that you are in relationship with to step out in their faith and to trust God and share your trust in God with them. Share the times 
that God has been faithful. Share with them the things that God has done. Share your story. Share when you thought that there would be no way out and it looked like that there was no hope and then somehow God pulled through or God took this, this, this situation that just seemed like a mess and somehow you're still here. It doesn't mean that you're maybe completely over it or, or that it, you've completely moved on, but you've healed so much and God's been faithful and you can share that journey and share those stories with people to be able to see the faithfulness of God and you can encourage them to keep moving forward as well. Share your trust in God with them. Walk with them through uncertain times. Share your story. Naomi was behind the scenes and she was encouraging Ruth to trust in God and to trust that she truly wanted what was best for her. You see, this idea of, of, of mentoring, and I've shared this before, but if anything's worth sharing, what's worth sharing again? So this idea of mentoring and investing can be as simple as I'm going to either share something or do something, and then I want you to watch me do this, and then let's talk about it afterwards. And maybe that's something that's done several times, something over a process of a period of time. But then after they've seen that modeled, let's talk about that. Let's unpack that. Let's reverse engineer that. And then the second step in this mentoring relationship is to walk with people and say, all right, now I want you to join me. Now I want us to do this together. You've listened to me. You've watched me. You've seen me do these things. We've talked about them. Now let's do these things together, all right? Let's do it over this process of time. And then as we do it, we're going to circle back around and we're going to talk about it, what we're learning, what we're growing in. And then that last stage in that mentoring relationship is now you're going to do it by yourself, but don't worry, I'm, I'm going to be close by because I'm going to be watching. And as you do and, and as I watch over a period of time or, or however long that may go or however many times you may do this, then we're gonna circle back around and we're gonna talk. I'm gonna incrementally build in stages in you the confidence to be able to grow and to be the man or woman of God that he's called you to be. This is a great way to invest in our children spiritually and in your grandchildren spiritually as well, amen? amen. It's a great way to invest in friendships and relationships for us to be intentional because can I tell you that although mentoring happens in relationships and it happens as we do life together, it also is not going to happen unless we take note and responsibility and prioritize it and make it something we do intentionally. You see, we have to do it on purpose, right? So that means I'm thinking about my relationships differently. I'm thinking about my interactions differently. You see, you thought that we were just having a cup of coffee. You thought we were just going out to lunch. But I'm being intentional because I'm wanting to invest in you because I see something in you that's valuable that I believe God can use. And then I see something in another person that perhaps I want God to help me to grow in because I admire and respect them for those things. And God highlights people to you throughout your life. It's how it's always gone with me, and I, don't, I can't explain it. I don't understand it. It's not like, you know, it's like a lottery wheel or something, you know, and I'm just bored. I just pick <laughs> random people. God highlights people, and I don't know why. I mean, I, I really don't. I, all I do is I know I have to be obedient, amen? And I have to prioritize that. And I have to be intentional with it. And sometimes, listen, this is hard for people because every time we get attached and connected to people, sometimes we think that it's like this forever thing, right? And it's not always forever. Sometimes it's just for a season. And it's hard for us to be okay with that. But can I tell you, be okay with that. 
because that's tough. Because sometimes when we invest in people, it's hard to like let them go and move on to that next step because we're like, but I invested so much, yeah, and it's not about you anymore, right? It's, it's time for you to encourage them to move forward because you, you've done your part of investing. And, and if, they, if they move on or if, if, if you begin to drift, as long as it's something that's not an unhealthy reason or whatever the case may be, if it's time for that, then just pray, God, is, is, is my time just you know, investing, maybe planting some seeds, watering, is that over? And is it time for them to move on? Because they'll be grateful, they'll be thankful. But remember, it's not about you, amen? amen. Uh, the Apostle Paul understood this very well. He said, listen, it's, it's not about who baptizes you, you know? Sometimes people think, oh, this person baptized me, and so that makes me more spiritual because I was baptized by the Apostle Paul or by this other minister named Apollos or by Peter, the disciple of Jesus, whatever the case may be. Some people think, oh, well, well, it's spiritual. He was baptized by, mm, you know, this person or that person. And, and, and Paul said to that argument in 1 Corinthians, he said, it doesn't matter who baptized you. All that really matters is that you got baptized and you're serving Jesus. It doesn't matter who did it. He said, because it's not about who gets that credit because somebody has a different role. He said, sometimes I plant the seed. Sometimes, you know, Apollos waters the seed. But God's the one who brings the increase. He's the one who brings the life change. Amen? Amen. God's the one who brings the fruit. But I'm just planting and I'm just watering. So maybe you're planting and watering for a season. Maybe you're planting and watering for a really long time. Maybe God wants you to invest in somebody for a really long time. Maybe that's what it is. But either way, I'm always looking and I'm always saying, God, use me. I want you to help me to connect with people who I can help uh, to grow in their journey, no matter how long that may be. So everyone has a story and everyone can give time to take an interest in someone. Everyone has a story because some people think, man, I hear stories about people who were like chained in addiction, right? And maybe they were even in prison, right? People who were involved in gang activity, people who were involved in like, you know, substance abuse, people who came from an abused home, people who hit rock bottom and had nothing and they had these great stories and, and, and then all of a sudden they heard Billy Graham sing Just As I Am, you know, and there was a light. I don't know where it came from, but all of a sudden I felt, I felt myself just have this new feeling and, and I gave my life to Christ and I left all that old stuff behind and we hear those stories and we're like, wow, tears are shed, Right? I mean, we get excited for those people, but what about the person that says, yeah, I, I grew up in church, and I went to Sunday school, and someone told me about Jesus, and I received Christ, and I went to youth group as a teenager, and then I got married and had kids, and now we all go to church. Praise God, my story's boring, you know, and that's what we think. That's what we think, Right? And that's what the enemy wants you to think. He wants to downplay your story if it's not this big, impressive thing. And he wants you to, to feel like your story is not worth sharing. That's what he wants you to feel like. But can I tell you this? Can I tell you that any story 
that results in a life that has forever been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. A person who is a wretch, who is disconnected, who is an enemy of God, being reconciled, forgiven, and brought back into the family of God and called an adopted son or daughter with the Spirit of God living on the inside of them and who has an eternity that is wrapped up in Jesus that they will spend an eternity with Him forever? I don't care what the circumstances are around that story. That's a pretty awesome story, okay? I, 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 I mean, we, we get all excited, you know, about all the other stuff that we hear. And it's awesome when somebody, like, you know, like gets, gets saved and they get set free from all this other junk. But can I tell you that if you have been made new in Jesus, that is an awesome story worth telling. It doesn't matter what the other elements around it are. And don't downplay it. Don't let the enemy get you to like dilute the, 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 the potency of that story and the impact that it could have on someone's life. Because God wants to use your story. Because God uses all kinds of stories to reach all kinds of people and to connect with all sorts of people. But what he's looking for is not someone who's got this great, big, amazing, awesome story that's just like, whoa. He's looking for somebody who's willing to say, yes, I'll share my story. And yes, I'll connect. And yes, I'll care. Yes, I'll inconvenience myself intentionally for the sake and benefit of another person. Yes, I'll, I'll pray and be intentional with how I use my time. Yes, I'll be a person who cares about people enough to connect with them. You see, this is what happened with Ruth and Naomi. And look at the result here. Ruth 4. Verse 13. Let's finish this up. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Isn't that awesome? There's a lot of stuff that happened in between there and you can go back and read it if you want to. Maybe that'd be a good thing for you and your family to talk about or you and a friend to talk about. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, isn't this interesting? The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And that's in the genealogy of Jesus. You see, here's the big idea for today. Mentoring relationships create Christ-centered family that leaves a legacy. Mentoring relationships. This is the, this is the potential here, okay? When the church takes seriously the call to invest, what happens is it creates Christ-centered family connections that weren't there before no reason for those two to be connected anymore just go back to moab start over no i i want to connect with you i want to invest in you i want to commit to you and what did it do it created family god used it that left a legacy and i believe god will do that in our lives because he's given us a call we have a mission here at bcc to impact every generation beyond our lifetime that means when we're gone, when we're no longer around, that eternity is still being impacted because we've invested with the time that we were given. Okay? So for us to do that, it requires people to step into the role of being spiritual mothers and fathers. 
It requires young people like Ruth to seek out and commit to loving Christ-centered relationships. It's our call. It's how we invest forward. And, and I know it's great to have large gatherings on Sunday morning and to invest those ways. I love that. I think that's awesome. And we're going to keep doing that. It's awesome for us to gather and do big things like serve the cities and go out and serve uh, with our church community. Those things are awesome, and we're going to keep doing those things. That's a part of it, but it doesn't stop there. It's not just those big things. It's actually those little things done consistently. Those little things like, hey, you want to grab a cup of coffee this week? Hey, send a text. How's it going? Caring about something important in that person's life. Hey, I saw this was going on in your life. That's pretty cool. Can we talk about that? You know, how'd, how'd that make you feel? What's going on? Investing, caring, right where people are. And as you build trust, God begins to highlight people to you. God begins to open up doors for you. Next thing you know, God's using you to impact the next generation beyond your lifetime. This should happen in our homes with our children, amen? Grandma and grandpa, it should happen with your grandchildren. What an investment you have. What an opportunity that you have. Friends, co-workers, there's opportunity all around to invest. Lord, help us to see the people that we need to connect to and then the people that we can learn from as well so we can grow. Let's ask him to help us do that, okay? Lord, we need your help because, God, there's a lot of hurdles in our way that Lord, trip us up from making this a priority. Busyness, um, intimidation, uh, fear of failure, fear of not saying or doing the right thing. Um, Lord, I pray that your perfect love would cast that fear out today. I pray that the priority of this message would cast that fear out today. I pray that today that people have been stirred to action and that will remove that fear and the, those hurdles will be gone so that we can be that type of church and be that type of follower so that we can impact every generation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in online. Our in-person service times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. To learn more about BCC, visit us at bettendorfcc.com. Have a great day.